Okay, and welcome to another episode of Burritos, Breaks, and Flies. And today we have a very special guest and our very first international guest. We have Wes with Ufish Scotland. Hi, Wes, and thank you for joining us. That's excellent. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, uh, we've we've had a couple many failed attempts to make this connection work, but we're very glad we got it to work, and we're super excited to to hear from you and what you got going on in Scotland. So. So Wes, um, you know, I just want to start out and uh, find out who's Wes. Uh, do describe yourself to our listeners. I'm a full-time fishing guide. I've been full-time now for approximately nine years. I have no other form of income but just from guiding. We're, we guide approximately 425 Americans a year from all over the U.S., starting from California right the whole way across to the east, Maine, down to Texas and up to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a wide, varied range of fishers. Um, we fish with guys from Canada, South America, South Africa, Australia. So we're quite adept, and we've seen just about every possible form of fly fishing possible over that nine years. Um, or we, 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 we are pretty limited on our species here in Scotland. Our big one would be the Atlantic salmon, mm. um, sea trout, pike, perch, grayling, uh, rainbow, brown, uh, arctic char. That would be really it, to be honest. So we're not as, uh, we don't have a big profile of fish that you guys have in the States. Uh, we have world famous rivers. One is right on my doorstep, the River Spey. We have the River Tay. We have the D. Uh, we've got some of the world's best salmon rivers, or I should say, used to be one of the world's best salmon rivers. Um, for salmon, it's just it was once an amazing sport. Our brown trout, um, they're not famous in Scotland for being big, but where we have our own waters, um, our last brown trout was about seventeen pounds. Um, oh. our, our rainbows. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not small. <laughs> no, it's not. But that's what people come here for. You know, yeah. You come here to catch a big fish. Yeah. 90% of the Americans that come here do catch the biggest fish of their life. And nice. we enjoy that. We absolutely enjoy that. Um, but for me as a guide, I've been fly fishing since I was four years old. Wow. I've been, I'm not going to say I'm the best fly fisher in the world. Jenny's overtaken me day by day now. She's 20 years old. So, but, uh, it's, it's varied here. The one thing we have got in Scotland that I know you've got in parts of the US, we have to fish in the wind here a lot. We are weather, our weather system here, we can have four seasons in one day. You know, it can be calm. It can be gusting 70 miles per hour. Um, oh. You fish and you fish according to the conditions. And when you're fishing in rivers and you're throwing 120 foot lines, you don't want to, the wind to change direction halfway through a snap tee or a or a jump roll because you've got a fly coming in the back of your head. So we right. always try. So we always try and fish the weather conditions. <laughs> we always try and use the wind as our as our friend rather than our enemy. Sure. Um, Scotland's not the easiest place to fish in the world. Um. We have had many a guy come here and be surprised. Mm. Uh, 
whereas you know, I know a lot of Americans up in California that fish two weights, three weights, and four weights. That yeah. wouldn't last a few seconds here. The wind would just, it just wouldn't allow you to cast. Right, right, and that that's gained a lot of popularity over here because we're we're right on the cusp, we're right on the border with uh, California. I mean, because our our primary body of water here is the Truckee River, so um, you know half of it resides in California and the other half is residing in Nevada. We're on the Nevada side. Um, there has been a bit of popularity lately with uh, the technique we refer to over here as Euro-nymphing, which uh, has a lot of, as you know, has a lot of foundation in, in Spain, France, Czechoslovakia, you know, and it's that lighter weight stuff. Three weight, four weight. You really don't see five weights in it. However, that's one reason we got we do have Taylor here. <laughs> He's one of one of the unique guys. He's actually fishing. What's what's your? I'm, I'm doing a eleven foot uh, spay um, with uh, six weight. Yeah, yeah. So he's 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 gone bigger because we do have wind issues here. Probably not as consistently dramatic, maybe as you experience. Um, but we get those those gusty times and whatnot. And I completely understand if. I commonly, I've been fishing a three weight lately and I actually regret doing a three weight after yesterday. <laughs> I, f I found a way to manage the wind. Let's say that, okay? I found, you know, I, I improvise on my casting method, you know, just basically just putting that line right over the top of the water. However, Taylor did witness me get into a sizable brown trout and, and watch me literally running upriver, letting more line out of my reel than I ever let out in my life. You know, and finally he just, he got me. He took my lunch money, Wes. That's what he yeah. did. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get, <laughs> yeah, we get trout like that here. We'll just empty your line in seconds. Um, really? We get it's guys terrifying. coming here. There, actually, there's an American guy last year. Um, his grandfather died and left him his fly rod. Now, it was an old, very old, um, cane, split cane rod. Uh huh. It was an original Orvis reel from 1947 uh, wow. with original backing on it <laughs> and original fly line. But the fly line was a silk fly line. So that's one of the best fly lines you can get. It was uh -huh. well, and it had been kept in the dark. So there was no UV to it. So it was absolutely excellent condition. And his wow. dream was to come here and catch a trout with his grandfather's rod. Okay. I, yeah. I looked at the rod and thought, oh, I don't know, this might not work to the best way. But he said, I don't care. It's for his grandfather. So we took him out. It was actually Jenny that took him out. And uh, third cast, eight pound brownie. And he got it in. But we couldn't let the reel run. It just emptied the reel. So we had the hand line. There was me and Jenny behind him, hand lining all the backing back into a spool. Oh. So we didn't wreck his line. <laughs> well he got it in and as soon as it came back in it took it all out again so we had to feed it out three of us had to feed it out carefully because the reel was just broke but he got it in and he got his picture and he got his picture with his grandfather's rod and it worked wow that's those great. old original american fly rods are the best in the world absolutely what? amazing rods i would use it today the reel i wouldn't use but the rod i would love is fantastic <laughs> right but our brownie wow. here, we fish predominantly dry fly. Mm. Uh, check nymphing 
is about six years old now, probably five or six years old over here now. Yeah, but about um, the same here. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the skill. Yes. But we do use a two-weight rod for that, and I usually use that for grailing, because grailing will only go up to about three or four pounds here. Sure. Size about three quarters of a pound to two pounds. Uh-huh. Um, but sometimes you hook a salmon with it, sometimes you hook a sea trout with it, and sometimes you hook a brown trout with it. And when you do, you have to run. You're using <laughs> 2.4-pound tippet. You're using uh, two-weight rod. You do have to go after it. And I've jumped in after it. I will jump in. I'll go down the river. My life jacket's on. That's what I'll use. I'll go down feet first. I'm not losing the fish. Uh, I love it. It's like it's like yeah, you are a true guy. That's like it's like a combination action adventure movie slash horror movie, you know? Because you're like you're like oh boy, you got it, you know? And your everything is just not on your side, but you're going to do everything you can to get it, you know? But then you got the horror part, like like you just said, Wes. Hey, I'm jumping in feet first. That's (laughs) that's my fish. I'm going for a ride, you know. Get in the car and go down river. You know, find me. <laughs> you know, like yeah. And uh, speaking of going for a ride, one of the things that I I love watching on your promotional videos on LinkedIn is how you get around. Can you tell our our listeners uh, your modes of transportation there in Scotland to get from river to river? I know that Scotland is not a big country, okay, in comparison to the size of California or Texas, but we use um, a helicopter now and again. Because we can go and fish probably four or five different locations in one day. Things that you'd never get to do. Because some of them are a, an ER, a good ER walk in. And it's not flat ground. It's undulating. It's rugged. And it's hard going. So we'll fly in. We'll land. We'll walk down to the river. We'll fish it. We'll get a few fish. Stop, have a cup of coffee by the river. Get in the helicopter. Fly off to another stream. or Go and fish it. Because the spots, there's only probably five or six spots in each stream that are any good. Um, you've got to get there before anybody else gets there in the morning. Because mm-hmm. if you get your fly in first, you will hit them. If they, if there's people fishing up through the day and they see five or six flies, they know they're not stupid. You know, they're big fish for a reason. Um, so we'll go and fly around maybe five or six places and have the, we'll take the side doors off the helicopter, hang the rods out the side, strap them on and just go for it. Good day, huh? Wow, (laughs) that's awesome. You know, and that's—I can't say that that's really in practice in the U.S. As far as I know, I mean, the only exception would be probably up, you know, like Alaska, and they use a lot of bush planes. I mean, I think that that's kind of a given. But um, yeah, that's 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 an awesome approach. I think we could learn from that here, probably. I mean, access—you know—people will spend. Hours and hours, or even a day or two or three on foot to get to some of these points. By the time you get there, you're so spent. Yeah. You know, you're just like, oh yeah, let's get this fishing in. Oh well, I got to make this three day hike back. You know, it's yeah. kind of like, wow, that's that's a bit a bit a bit much. So you, you, it's awesome you can send your your client in there fresh. You know, and all excited. I mean, the video of your your helo flights. You're not. Uh, how do you say it? The pilot's flying that bird. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. you know they, so. they look, they're, they're completely sideways in some shots. Yeah. yeah. It looks like yeah. a lot of G-force. Yeah, whenever I say put the seatbelt on, I do mean put the seatbelt on. Because you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you are going out. But it's good fun. Because we can drop down to 40 feet, 30 feet, 20 feet. We've got lots of water. We've got something like 340,000 locks in Scotland. 
So we can drop down, big long locks, low level. There's a spot over there, it hasn't been fished yet. We'll bank round, we'll go and fish it, we'll lift off, we'll go and fish another place. Um, it's not that expensive. We can carry four people, divide the, tri- divide the price between four people, $500 yeah. a day. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's actually that's that's really what, reasonable. What made you have that vision to say we've got all these beautiful lakes here in Scotland that need to be fished? I'm gonna I'm gonna go big. I'm gonna get a helicopter. How did you guys transition into that? My history was aviation. Um, I'm just trying to find something actually. I'm just trying to find it if I can show it to you. But uh, my history was aviation. So, 20 years in aviation, and uh, I miss it now and again. So, I wanted to combine the both, but I traveled all over the world. My job took me all over the world, and I was uh, in the States quite a lot. I lived in Pampa for three years. Uh, we used to cover the, the Caribbean, we used to cover a lot down there. But, uh, can you see that? So, for those yeah. of you listeners, uh, Wes, we're on a... Uh, Skype call, and he's showing us a <laughs> picture of him in front of a jet. Is that that's your that's your bird? Yep. Wow. What what model is that? What what? That's what, uh, a tornado F three. I was gonna say it was a tornado. That's yeah. that's a hell that's a hell of a bird. So yeah. you're used to moving fast in the air. Yeah, yeah. about nine about nine hundred ninety five miles per hour. Nice. But that nice. was about I, I, fifteen I, years ago. I've, I've had the privilege. It's one way to put it of seeing tornadoes. I, I was did a few deployments to the Middle East, um, and with all the combined exercises over there, I had a few chances to see some tornadoes in and out of the area out there. And it's 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 a stark difference than watching you know an F eighteen you know go over overhead. You know, and you first get confused with like a F five. You know, like oh, oh there's yeah. Air, Air Force guys, and all of a sudden you're like, oh no, that's a tornado. You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you got to do it. Thumb rate, of, um, Salala, uh, Muscat, Kuwait, Bahrain, Riyadh. Uh huh. Um, um, oh, too, just too many places to even think about now. I so, feel like, I feel like I was looking up at you at that time frame. <laughs> 15 yeah. years ago or so. <laughs> I was probably looking up at you. <laughs> yeah, I, I love like it. Thanks for the help, man. <laughs> <laughs> if you had the duck, that was me. It was you. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was that guy. I knew it. <laughs> I like that you ended up back in your native country, Scotland. And I just wanted to, to ask, you know, what is it about Scotland that, that strikes you as a native and that makes it your favorite place in the world? My last three years were on search and rescue. So um, I flew over that many locks, mountains. I found a lot of locks that I didn't know existed. Um, we used to do training exercises at those locks. It was, it was good to sure. fish them. <laughs> so, <laughs> I found a lot of places. I just fell in love. I was brought up fly fishing. Um, I've been lucky enough to fly fish all over the world. It was a toss-up between America and, and Scotland. It was a serious toss-up. And to wow. be honest... Um, I sent Jenny off to Texas, uh, not last year, the year before, to go and fish with a friend of ours down at Rockport for reds. I wanted to get her some saltwater action on the fly. Yeah. 
I believe that saltwater guys will make good fly fishers. You know, you combine saltwater with spay casting with normal single-handed trout rod, you're going to be a good all-round, a good all-round fly fisher. And yeah. I have had the privilege, um, through the last thirty years, forty years of being allowed to do that. From you know, I was stationed with the United States Air Force for a while, so I was out in Okinawa. So I used to fly fish around Okinawa, and the Japanese know how to fly fish. They taught me a few things out there. So I've been lucky. I learned a lot from Americans. I learned a lot from Japanese. I've learned a lot from Canadians. Um, anybody I fly fish with, I don't care. I've been fly fishing for four years or 40 years, particularly in America. I learn a lot from them. I learn a, a, a lot from them. Whenever I was stationed in uh, Tampa, um, I used to go up and fly fish the mangroves, but that was back in 1980, 1989, about mm-hmm. that area. Fly fishing wasn't big in the U.S. back then. It was right. starting to take off. It really was starting to take off. And there was a gentleman, it must have been his 80s, and he sat there and he was chewing tobacco when he offered me some, and I didn't take it because it, it just, <laughs> it just did not look good. And, uh, there was a concrete, there's a concrete, uh, moat, uh, concrete, uh, what do you call it, a driveway going into the water. And at that time, float tubing was rare, very rare. Yeah. There was some crazy guy, I think, south of the Amazing Dixie Line invented that. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, was fly fishing for BB tarpon in the mangroves. Uh huh. On a, okay. on a float, on a float tube. On a float tube. Oh, that's, yeah. okay. So I didn't know. It was, it was about three. It was about three days later. He kept watching me, and I couldn't understand why he kept watching me. And I stopped off at a cafe, and this uh, there was this lady uh, asked me was I the guy that's fly fishing, and I says, "Yeah." She says, "You know, there's shark in there," and that's <laughs> and that's what that old boy was waiting for to see the like, shark. That's the only reason he watched me. He's just waiting for you just to just to pop out the bottom of your tube, just poop. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> Wow. So that taught me a lesson. Check the water before you go and fish it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So I, I have to say one thing that I think we're, we're pretty perplexed or fascinated by over here in the U.S. is with, um, you know, the concept of, of, of spay casting. And, and you're literally on your doorstep leads right to the spay river, which that method is named after. Maybe you can give us a little bit of, um, you know, home front knowledge on that. You know, I know we, we do have groups of guys over here that do it, but I don't think anyone's really educated on the history of that and, and why it exists. Like, how did it come about? And I don't think they know that Scotland is, is the motherland of, of that method of fly fishing. Yeah, Scotland is, and specifically the River Spey and the River Ness would be the two rivers associated with the Spey casting. The gentleman that's that invented spay casting was a guy called Alexander Graham Grant, and he lived in Carr Bridge, which is about probably five miles away from the River Spay and maybe 20 miles from Inverness. And he invented spay casting. Now, he also held the world's distance record for spay casting, and he held that record for 110 years, which was broken by a guy called Scott McKenzie that came from Inverness, and he now makes and designs rods. Kenzie Rods, yeah. Yeah. So, Alexander Graham Grant, he was a musician and he was a hairdresser. And what he found was that whenever he was cutting somebody's hair, he found that if he's cut it at an angle, you can join it back together again. 
yeah. by splicing it. So there was no ferrules in those rods back then. They were spliced at say a thirty, at, say a, a thirty-three degree angle each, laid on, and then used a leather band and then tied over. Mm. To get the perfect rod, it had to go to the tune of C. Now he was a, a musical. He was he played the violin, so he used a tuning fork, and from top to bottom of that rod, it had to come to the letter C. It had to be tuned. Albert Einstein wasn't. He, he spoke to Albert Einstein as well to get the physics of the rod. The eyes of the rod were oh. little round, were little round circles on droplets, so they weren't fixed. So whenever you cast the rod, the eyes would move forward and allow the line to go through. So oh. it gave it a good motion. The line w- wasn't uh, today's material; it was silk as well, but the line wasn't round; it was flat. Ah, uh, interesting. So it, it would go through the air that much better. Oh, wow. that's interesting. I wonder why that. That's interesting you say that. It's fascinating. It's like you wonder why it's gone away from using a modern material on the old, you know, geometric platform of being a flat line. Why is everything round? You know, it's like, why? What changed? You know, I mean, I don't know if you have any insight on that or it's just basically just the rod technology and line technology just kind of moved with what has been in production or, or, or whatnot. But I mean, that's I a start of just. That's a stark difference. <laughs> yeah, from what oh, we see now. That's a massive difference. Uh, no, it's yeah. a massive difference. It's a, uh, the rod. I, I, I've held this rod, and uh, I wasn't allowed to cast it, but I've held this rod and looked at it. I actually done a video on it. Um, I must upload it actually. Um, the guy who gave me his rod. I got all the drawings as well. I've got photographs of all the original drawings of the rod design. I'll I'll, I'll get all that to you, so you can see it. But uh, there's so many things to do with spay casting that it's just absolutely, absolutely amazing. And if you combine spay casting with a single-handed rod, you're going to become an you're going to become a good fly fisher. Uh, ben just had to leave, so Taylor scoot over to the big seat. <laughs> Ben's got to go to a soccer tournament. So. All right. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, and it, so I think I'm, I'm glad kind of that that timing was was interesting because now Taylor, you somewhat kind of practice you know the, the spay type activity now on the trucky. The trucky's a lot. It's not most of it's not super wide. I mean, it is a luxury to have a spay style rod you know to reach the bar size. But you know he's he's altered some of his techniques to utilize it aside from. Traditional spade casting to also like increase reach and leverage, you know, better hook sets and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, oh, I got continue here. Sorry. Okay. So, yeah. So, but it's just interesting, like between you guys here, it's like how his method, you know, you know, that traditional body of water versus how you use it here. Maybe you can kind of give less a little introspective on. Well, how, how you're using it, or you know, or yeah. So I mean, I mean, I'm, I already know Wes is ten times the spade caster, and you know, form and everything like that. Than me, I mean, I picked up a you know the the eleven footer just for a, like, hey, I'd like to be able to fish the soccer side of the bank without having to walk across the river, you know. Um, but yeah, for the trucky, I've noticed like like you said, Wes, with like the wind and everything, just having that heavier line. Cut through the wind and even to get your, your more solid grips, it's, it's definitely made a difference for me. 
anyway, just coming from somebody that's more new in the, uh, you know, the stay cast, the, the longer rods. Yeah. I, th- I think there's a perception over here, Wes, that with a lot of guys that it's, it's clunky. It's, it's too big, too much, you know, cause they initially look at a, a, a spay rod and they're like, Oh, well look at the weight on that. And you know, how long and how big it is. And it's, it's not going to have that, that delicate presentation. And I'm like thinking in the back of my head, well, wait a second, you know, like that doesn't make any sense because this has been around for how long, you know, and how many huge fish do you see come off of, you know, <laughs> spay yeah, lines, you know? <laughs> It's, it's all about perception. For somebody who's never used a double-handed rod before, it, it is a massive leap. Mm-hmm. Um, there is similarities between the two, but uh, it's using both hands now. You know, you're pulling with your left and pushing with your right. Probably sixty percent power on your right, forty percent power on your left. Um, depends where you're going to aim the fly, because you can actually aim a fly with a double-handed rod. You can put a fly within, I don't know. A football range, you know, in the water, um, you can be that accurate with a double-handed rod by using wow. the butt to aim the fly of where you're going to put it. Um, however, a guy going into it when he does, and, and, and this has happened more so again with Americans, they look at it and they think, no, no, it's too big for me, it's too heavy. But when they get into it, they actually enjoy it. It's the casting that they enjoy more than the fishing. Because uh-huh. you're getting lines out that you just couldn't get out. Yeah. And I'm sure you'll find yourself, if you're in a river and you're in trees either side, you can't back cast. So That's if right. the water's going, uh, if you're standing and the water's going right to left, and you're, you're standing, you're going to, uh, probably do a sea cast by reverse the, the line up river and then make a big loop and then punch it out. Yep. You can't, you can't do that with a single handed rod. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. This allows you to fish, as you just said a second ago, the far side of the river without disturbing that part of the river. And it's good for checking anything because you can allow, you can get the flies right on the edge and let it come round. And you can just go down six inches at a time. You're covering a lot more water. You're covering the water methodically. And you can actually hold the fly as well by mending the line. You can slow the drift of the fly just by mending that line a little bit so it keeps the, the flies in front of the line and not the line in front of the flies because that will spook the fish. And a lot of guys, there's a guy called Rod Ambrose, really nice guy, never done it before, and he wanted to do it. So he fished for trout first, and he went onto this bay for salmon next. And he's from California, really nice guy. He's now a steelhead fisherman nearly 100% of the time because wow. he, fell in, he fell in love with it. He fell wow. in love with a double-handed rod. So whenever you see a 10-weight rod or an 11-weight rod at 15 foot, 16 foot, they're that weight and that range and that height for a reason. Um, you will have to adjust a few things, but whenever you get into it, it's like a ballerina on water. You will start really? off as a uh, you will start off as a rugby player on water. It'll just go <laughs> bad. It'll, it will go really bad. But your guide will be there to mentor you, not give you a hard time, but mentor you, keep you away from the fishable areas, and just start doing roll casts. A roll cast. Bring the line up nice and gently. Put it back with your left shoulder and punch it out. Single spay, double spay, snap tee, jump roll. Uh, there's so many casts that you can do. And you can use that in a single-handed rod now as well. You can do exactly the same in a single-handed rod. So you've got your 11-foot three-weight. You can do exactly the same with that. There's nothing you can't not do with uh, 
a single-handed rod that you can do with a double-handed rod. Combining the two will make you a better fisher. Yeah, and I think I think between both of us sitting here, we've somewhat experienced that because the natural the natural progression here on the Truckee River so has gone from the traditional nine foot, you know. Yes. Five, five weight, you know, rod. And then all of a sudden now we have this thing where like, well, just like you mentioned, oh, we got this high brush line. Okay. Well, how do we address that? Well, we'll roll cast. Okay. Well, the nine foot's just not enough to get above that, you know, the top of that tree line, mm-hmm. you know, get above. Okay. So now you go to 10, then you go to 11. So you start crossing this, this fine line where you're, you're slowly creeping out of the traditional, you know, one handed, and moving into like that two-handed spade, you know, now you got, you know, now you got these hybrids and stuff out there, but it's kind of funny how you just see how here the rods are getting longer, beefier, you know, and, you know, it's taking a very long time. And like Taylor's one of the very first guys out here to use consistently a, a heavier weight rod. And, and and sometimes it's not heavy enough for what I've seen him get into. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, on a six weight, 11 foot, that's, that, that's a rod with some backbone. Yeah, you know, and and you know he's uh, some fish have gotten the better of him. Not a lot, I can say. This guy lands <laughs> magnificent fish out here, but <laughs> that's um, the reason why Taylor lands fish and others don't. That's yep. the reason why he catches fish and others don't because mm-hmm. he knows what he knows what he has to use to fish that pool, to fish that yeah. area. You know, yeah. guys will go in there with a five weight, nine foot five weight, eight foot six five weight. They do not stand a chance. Taylor yeah. will come in, put his rod down. Yeah, I'll fish it that way. Put on the flies, he'll have a fish on because he yeah. can do it. It's the ease of doing it. it becomes an enjoyable day's fishing. If you've got brush behind you, I can fish with brush. I can fish with a house behind me at ten feet behind me. I just have to shorten my D loop slightly, but it's easy to do. It is once sure. you get in the mouth. I'd love to have Taylor, you guys across here, and just come and fish the spay for a few days, and get into it. But we're using fifteen foot, sixteen foot, sometimes twenty one foot. 10, oh 11, my gosh. 10, 11, <laughs> 8 pods. But we're throwing Skyjet, Scandi, um, Spay's my favorite, shooting head, multi tip. You know, we're, we've got an array of lines. Obviously, the Skyjet came from America because, but we, it's now becoming quite a popular line over here because, um, this is the time of the year I would use the Skyjet to chuck the bigger flies. We call them budgies because they just look like small birds. Big. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. In tight water. So, and, that, and that's what it was designed for. But if you get a long bellied, you know, a long bellied spay line, you should be shooting at a very minimum 120 feet. Very minimum. And you can fish with it short as well, you know. So, wow. we do exactly the same as Tyler there. We'll fish uh, probably a 12 foot 8 weight. That's as low as I would go, a 12 foot 8 weight. Sometimes we might go down to, um, we call them switch rods. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nine weight switch rod. I'll use that for pike. I'll use that for if I'm fishing in a tight area, a tight channel, where I just can't get the elevation behind me. I'll fish a switch. However, um, I can overhead a switch if I want to as well. If I get a nice straight line, so sure. it, you have the benefits of both. But the, I think it's the, is it the Golden Gate Bridge have a spare rama? Is it spare rama? It's held in. in- 
I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It yeah, might. That, that sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys have a thing called the Spare Rama, and we've got Scott McKinney goes across. Um, we've got he's five time world champion. You've got um, one of the guys I fish with as well. He's four times world champion. Um, so there's there's absolutely no reason and why you you can't do it. Um, there's a lot of females in America that are interning it now. Yeah. A Korean girl. Uh, Parks is her name. She's really good on the spay rod. Um, so it's all there. If the guys get into it and step back and just relax, it'll change their fishing. It will definitely change their fishing. Whether it's a 11 foot 3 weight or a 15 foot 10 weight, fish it and you'll definitely catch the fish. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, and what I've noticed too is it, it, it almost seems as if you know, when you first start fishing a switch or a spay, you're, you're getting tired super fast because you know, you know you're you're not used to it like you were saying. But once you get it, get the the motions down, it's it's honestly easier, you know, and less stress on your body, which is awesome. You know? Well, I find it's visual. If you mm-hmm. watch your line, if you watch your line, you're okay because you have to have your anchor point, and because the only thing that should be in the water is it is the last section of the fly line and your tippet and the fly and if you just turn it around and watch your anchor point you'll go so it's nearly all visual and as you say movement once you get into the movement of it you know yourself it is easy but getting that you are 100 percent right it is so it's hard work and when you're standing on the river spay or the tay or the d and you've got water coming around your waist and you've got your stick down holding you from going forward and you're watching the gravel dis- dis- disappear below your feet and you're throwing that big rod because you've got to lift it high, your, your day's fishing, you do know about it. So, yeah, you're right. You are 100% right. But you just have to relax. relax. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so here's here's something maybe we could dive into really quick is in the discussion that we you and I have had before, Wes, was we were doing some comparisons on uh, land access and how there's there's a, a, a vast difference between uh, the U.S. and Scotland. And you made the comment of you were pretty excited and encouraged by where we were at, you know, in general on, on the West Coast um, or in the U.S. Um, but you described to me what you got going on in Scotland. I was pretty amazed on how on how tough it can be, you know, and and whatnot. Maybe you can kind of describe a little bit of what it's, maybe what the difference is, you know, in your eyes between here and there. Um, so someone that's not aware could be like, oh, I'm, that they're ready for something like that. I know in America you, you buy your state license. I think I'm correct in saying that. I'm sure you'll correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you've got your out-of-state and in-state license, and that allows you to fish the majority of rivers and waters yeah. in that area. In yeah. Scotland, it's all private. So there's no such thing as a state license. Um, the beats on the River Spey, and I'm saying the River Spey because it's on my doorstep, will range from in dollars, maybe $20 a day to $1,000 a day per one rod, per one day's fishing. And that's not guaranteeing you anything. It could be high water. It could be dirty water. The water could be dropping fast. It could be, li- it could be rising fast. You spend that money, you, that's your day. That's it. Um, a week. There's usually six rods on a beat, so people will buy the beat for the week at six rods. You can only fish Monday to Saturday. You can't fish Sunday for game fishing in Scotland. 
So that's £3,600, which is $4,300 for one week's fishing. Wow. Just for salmon. So that's how much it could be. Or you could pay, you know, $500 for a day. So whenever I charge, I think I charge uh, £372 for one day salmon. That covers the price of the ticket, uh, the pickup from your hotel, driving there, your lunch there, the guys for the day and taking back. Um, people find that expensive in America. It's not. The beat's £150. So that's 200 say, $200. Um, that's the majority of the money there. Yeah. And then wow. the guy... Well, so what would that be? So that 372 that roughly translates to what, about four... 450 four, yeah. For a day? And you provide all that? Yeah. I mean, because that's actually... I mean, I'm sure some people have said expensive, but I'll say the, the going rate here, like on the truckie for a day, will be for a full day, would be anywhere from 450 to 550 And what's normally included in that is most of the time, sometimes the, the gear... Rods, flies. Uh, with some guides, they'll give you food. Some won't. But you're responsible for your own transportation, you know, and, and all that stuff. So there's the, the hospitality piece is not as deep as you go. So if if you told me that price, I'd be like, that's a bargain. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you know. But I, I get it. But that's that's incredible. How so? So how are those fees dictated? Is if, if you have all these beats and it's on you know private land. Is is the landowner that's determining, saying, "Hey, um, it costs this much, and that's yeah. it"? Or it wow. starts off, yeah. The prices start off cheap at the beginning of the year, and become yeah. really, really expensive in June, July, August, September, and then very cheap at the end of the year. Uh-huh. That's the prime fishing. So our first salmon in would be springers. They come in now. Yeah, uh, had a few already. After that, um, um, you will have. Uh, grills run, which starts in June, July, depends on how well they're, they're running. Um, after that, then it's uh, colored salmon. But at this time of the year, I could probably guarantee you a salmon because what will happen is Atlantic salmon will spawn probably six or seven times in their lifetime. Wow. So they don't go up the river and die. They'll return. When they return, they've lost all their weight, and they just look long, thin salmon. They're called kilts. Um. At this time of the year, they're returning because they've changed color now. They've gone back to silver, and they will—they'll uh, make their way back down and rest going down the river. And a fresh salmon will come in and hold with these kilts for a while. So if you're catching kilts, there's a good chance you're going to catch a springer. You'll catch maybe ten kilts for maybe the day at the moment. So you are going to catch a fish. And that, that's, you know, but they are spent salmon. They're salmon who've been up and spawned, lost all their weight, and they're heading back out to sea to refeed. But, interesting. Um, you will pay, I would say at the moment, £45 per day for a ticket for one day, which is about $60, $57, for a day. Uh, for an American, he's got to come across with his waders, his boots, his rod, his, all his bits and pieces, life jacket, the whole lot. 99% don't, don't come with all that. So they yeah. hire a guide. And this is where the money, because we give them rods, lines, uh, lunch, as you say, transport, uh, tuition. They need a lot of tuition. Um, right. guidance throughout the day. Um, you know, all the bits and pieces. So they do get it all. In July, that same beat will be 475 pounds. 
That's just just to walk in is four hundred and seventy five pounds for that. Just show up. Yeah, just show up at 475 pounds. Wow. And that's not with a guide. That's not with your kit. You have to bring all your own kit with that. So if you want a guide, then you'll have to pay a guide his going rate on top of that. So uh, it can be expensive. Wow. And that's the same for trite. Trite's exactly the same. There's no public water. You have to pay. But trite's cheaper. Trite Mm. is very, you know, it's cheaper. It's if you want the big trite, then you'll have to pay a guide for that. Because you can go and catch 500 trite in three days, all about 10 nine inches. Sure. Um, that's good fun. It is good fun doing that on dries, but uh, if you want the big guys, you know, the seven pound up to the 20 pounders, you need to have a guide because they're the only one that knows where and they don't tell anyone else. So that's purely, you need a guide for the big guys. Sure. Oh, absolutely. So, Wes, we're going to, we're going to get into one of our, our, our favorite parts of the podcast. And this is my first time doing it with Taylor as a guest host. So, yeah. um, so, <laughs> normally we like to ask uh, about a favorite a favorite food type, and obviously we focus on burritos. <laughs> but but being in Scotland, I'm like just on top of my head. I'm like, is that even a thing there? So yeah, I mean, okay, well, great. So I'll dive into that. I mean, if, if you know, out and about. I mean, I thought we work up a hunger here, but after listening to you about standing in the river, watching the gravel dissipate from underneath your feet, using a stick to prop you up, and I'm like, I don't know what you're standing in, but that's making, that's going to make you hungry. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, yes. yeah, so what, what what would be your go-to out there? I mean, if you're doing a burrito out there, I'd be interested to know what, what's going on, and if you have a favorite, and, and if it goes beyond the burrito, if you have a favorite meal or something, I mean, please entice us, because uh, all this talk has been making me hungry. I would say, my favorite thing would be haggis. Haggis. <laughs> yeah. It, now that, that's that's an acquired taste, as I I would say for <laughs> for some. Yeah, yeah but yeah. if you get a good haggis, um, yeah. yeah, it can be quite nice. But we put haggis in the burritos. Um, nice. You can hag- haggis, chicken, and cheese is oh, just amazing. Absolutely really? amazing. Yeah, I don't know too many Americans that like it. No, no, no. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. No. But when we go out, uh, Roz, um, she prepares all the food in the morning, half past five every morning. She prepares all the food. So, um, I get fed up eating when I'm out because I'm out every single day. Uh-huh. So I see the same food every single day, seven days a week. I see that for, for nine months of the year. So, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, honestly, I, I actually do not eat when I'm out because I just, I'll go and get a can of Red Bull. I live on Red Bull, I think, when I'm out most of the time. Um, nice. <laughs> I, I just, I just get fed up eating. I will snack. I like fruit. Probably, uh, I like some with a bit of sugar in it, apples, pears, um, stuff like that when I'm out. A Mars bar or something because Whenever the guys are reading, I've got to clean down their rods. I've got to prep their lines. I've got to change the flies, check their tippet. I've got a lot to do. And if I've got six rods, I've got a lot to do. So mm-hmm. I don't really get a chance. Coffee, Red Bull, a Mars bar or something through the day, and that would be it. Um, yeah. And yeah. that is it, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's there's something to that. I mean, that that, that is a testament to how busy um, that you can get, you know, when, when you're handling clients, you know, and, and it almost seems regardless of the degree of experience, 
of that client. You know, their expectation is that they're, you know, they're, they're there for a fishing trip of a lifetime, you know. Um, so, you know, you do everything you can, you know, to fulfill that for them and give them the best possible experience. And, and it seems that you do a pretty fantastic uh, job with that. And, and it seems like you're very, very proud of what you have there. I mean, you're, you're, just all the species that you get to deal with and choose from, so to speak, you know, like, yeah. hey, well, what are we going to go after? What do you want? You know, you want the pike? You want the Atlantic salmon? You know, you want, you know, you want the sea run trout? It's just stuff we can't imagine here because, I mean, here, you know, we're, we're landlocked, you know, and, and our variety of species, we have, I would say it's 3.5. Well, a 4.5. So we're looking at, we're looking at, um, wild rainbow trout okay that have been crossbred and bred with every form of rainbow trout so you know, we got some that look like mcleod river <laughs> rainbows and others that are like cam loops and they're just it's a hodgepodge you just you look at it and go oh that one's got more of this or that then we have the the famous brown you know yeah. and they're just you you would I think you would really appreciate the nature of the brown trout in this river they're just i mean they're a freshwater barracuda here they're just the most aggressive browns I think I've ever personally have ever seen. They just they're mysterious. They're mysterious and they just have some characteristics that are just you're just like, I didn't know brown trout did that. <laughs> um and then we have our uh whitefish, which is our I mean our version of the grayling, you know, yeah. just much, much smaller. Um and then the other one that's coming back is Lahontan, the Lahontan cutthroat trout, which um used to be the old giant of the river. Now it just primarily resides in pyramid, and that's that's the closest thing that we would have to salmon size right right close to us. Um, and they recently just implemented; they're working on a fish ladder from pyramid back up into the upper Truckee right now. So we might see some of those running, and they haven't run since 1905. So we got some. There's a, there's a potential for some really big fish running, you know, yeah, uh, pretty soon. But that that's the extent. So to hear what you got. We're pretty excited. Yeah. <laughs> Super excited about that. So I would say your favorite would be brown trout. Then, yeah, you you picked up on it. It it would be. You know the rib, the rainbows are fun. You know, but there's just something. Uh, there's a little less of the browns, and then it just I don't know. You you just have like a. It almost seems like it's by the day. Like you'll fish a run one day, come back the next. You know, maybe catch nothing but rainbows. But it's like some days they're just right. They want to eat. You know. Right. It's funny yeah. you say that because that happens us here. Um, there's some days we'll fish, and I know there's big browns in there, and all we'll catch is rainbows, big rainbows. I'm talking massive rainbows. Right. Uh, there's other days, it's all browns. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it's just I, I I can't see. I think the fish just move in and push them out, and then maybe a bigger aggressive fish will come in and do it. But our browns have got teeth. Our uh, browns yeah. have got big teeth. And uh, I, I've, I've been bitten by a brown a few times, and they all, it, it does hurt. It does hurt. It's, yeah. I, I don't mind. I really do not mind that at all. I'm happy sitting in the its mouth to get the fly out. I don't care. But, yeah, uh, I, I made that mistake last spring, Wes, uh, during spring runoff here in, in last March. And I got a sizable one. I think he was maybe, maybe about the six-pound range, you know. Nice and, yeah, and then I get him into the net. And, you know, I get into the water, I found a piece of calm water, and I put my knees down in the water, lay the net across my, my legs with him in the water still, because he, he did a number 
Uh, he wrapped the line all around his mouth. He was doing gator rolls <laughs> as he came in, so he just wrapped his mouth shut with you know with fluorocarbon. And I'm like, okay, so I'm just unwrapping him. So I treat him like a largemouth bass and stick my thumb in his mouth just to hold him still yeah. to pull that fly out. And then he did a little gator twist. And, mm-hmm. You know, I don't think the teeth on him are probably as big as the ones you're talking about, but it did enough to where it looked like I stuck my finger in a blender. You know, oh, yeah. just a big red thumb. And I'm like, what? I'm like, this is the most vicious animal in freshwater probably <laughs> that exists. Yeah. You know, it's just, just, I mean, they're just, they, they could be a ill-tempered, you know, Angry, angry fish, you know, oh, yeah. they're just a blast of fish for. <laughs> they really are. It's almost you know? like they'll bite down on you, you know. They will. More than like a rainbow, you know. They, rainbows are nice, it seems. And they right. keep their mouth open with those browns. Like, I've had them. Right. You know, where they'll clamp while you're, oh, almost got it. And bam, you know, they clamp down. Oh, okay. right. You know? it, it's gotten to the point, Wes, we almost have a bit of disappointment when we catch a rainbow here. Like, you're yeah, beautiful yeah. and fun, but you're like, oh, it's another rainbow. I could done without that. Well, I can tell straight away. Within two seconds, I can tell if a rainbow is a brown on the rod. Because a rainbow head checks. Checks the head. A lot uh-huh. of the brown. A brown just goes for it. Just runs. And just it, runs? Yeah. yeah. The, the, the rainbow checks its head and then runs. You know, it's, it's, and the guy, I'll say to the guy, it's a rainbow you've got. And he says, no, no, it's a brown. You can tell by the tip of the rod, you know, the thumping on the rod. Right. But, uh, right. No, the... The browns for me would be the best on the fly, apart from pike. Pike for me is absolutely would be my favorite on the fly. Well, I, we have. I, I don't know if you have any experience with pike. You know, I know there's some musky and stuff up in northern Nevada they plant, but I I would love to catch one on a fly. I haven't had the luxury yet. Yeah, I imagine that's that's something that's pretty. That has to, that has to be brutal on a fly yeah, rod. Use, I mean, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, don't use your eleven foot three weight because it's not. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. just not going to work. I use no. uh, I use saltwater gear for my pike, but we're hitting pike at you know over twenty four pounds, thirty pounds, up to forty pounds. Oh, uh, they are aggressive. They're just per month tarpon. We call them because they just tail dance in the water and shake their head. The big red gills flare out like a dragon. They just and even when they're at the boat, we just don't. We just got to get it right because you put your hand in their mouth and you'll be bleeding for a long time. Yeah, I think that'd be what they call a poor decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's happened. It's happened. It's happened. It's happened. happened. American guy last year. I left him alone for two minutes to go and get his dad. And I told him he catches a pike just to let it play in the water and bring it in and just keep its head up so it doesn't go down. And he came back and the pike had put its whole jaw across his uh, hand. Oh. Yeah, so it's, uh, he had to go to A&E for that. He had to go a few stitches for that one. I was going to say that was that was the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, not for us it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. Just keep on going. Like... <laughs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. But so, hey Wes, I, I appreciate you coming on, and I think I think before we go, could you could you let people know where they could find you, um, like maybe a website and, and all that type of stuff, or where could somebody you know reach out and take a look at uh, at you fish Scotland. Yeah, it's just basically you, as in Y-O-U, uh, Fish Scotland, it's uh, .com. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, Twitter. Um, I don't really do much of Twitter, it's all Instagram and Facebook. But uh, we're on YouTube and Vimeo as well. So, uh, yeah, anybody, it's, you know, just come and see us, you know. 
I'll definitely come across to you guys at some point. It won't be this year, probably uh, next year. But I'll definitely come across and see you guys. You guys should definitely come across here because I know you'll just love it. You'll yeah. be our guest and just come and stay and just have a few whiskeys and go out and enjoy the casting. And that's actually helped spay casting. The more whiskey you drink, the better spay casting. <laughs> oh, more relaxed. You know? And we could probably, and, and just to make light of a situation, I said we could probably get a really cheap airfare right now with the coronavirus going around. Yeah. So. <laughs> that is the time to come. Yeah, yeah, right, right. right. They probably, yeah. They'll pay they'll us pay to get there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now's the time to come. Extra baggage, don't worry about it. Just come. Just bring your family. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, thank you, Wes. We appreciate it. This has been a good time. I think we learned a lot, and I think I think there's definitely room for us to do this again down the road because I think we want to learn, you know, a bit more about what you got going out there, and I think we could go on for for a while, but. um we definitely learned a lot in this episode. We really appreciate you, one, for being patient, making this work. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're super excited about it. I think there's a lot to learn from each other on this. So really appreciate you being on. Okay. Yeah, well, thank you very much. And tight lines to everybody over there as well. And uh, hopefully 2020 is going to be a good year and you get a big face. It's too big for your net. <laughs> well, that, that, happened. That, happened just, that happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah. That happened yesterday. Yeah, it was nice meeting you, Wes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Andrew. Yeah. Thanks very much, guys. Hey, what's that thing that you're doing? Hey, what's that thing that you do? No. You're not that thing that you're doing For the things that you do and not who you are Why don't you come over here? Why don't you come over here? Why don't you come over here? Why don't you come over sing? I'm a friend Love We send love Yeah.